Good morning. This next reading comes from Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. You can find it on page 1,225 in most pew Bibles. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promised in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Thank you, Harry, for reading uh, that passage of scripture. Friends, let's come to our God in prayer as we look at his word. Father, we thank you for your word. Give us understanding of this passage and help us to apply it in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, this morning, uh, we're going to look at this topic, a mystery uh, being revealed. I remember myself reading uh, any Blyton, uh, Blyton's books on the... The Secret Five. Have you read those books? The Adventures of the Secret Five? Maybe, maybe some of you have read it. I found them uh, quite amazing, in fact. Right? Because as a young guy reading through those books, I always waited for the mystery to be revealed. What was the plan? What was the action? And the mystery that was to be uh, revealed. Perhaps you've been taken out on a mystery dinner somewhere. Perhaps on a mystery flight. Anybody been on a mystery flight? Yeah, I see a few hands being raised up this morning. You, you really didn't know where you were going. You got onto this plane in faith and you were taken somewhere. And, and at the end of the journey, it has been revealed to you. The mystery has been made known. And suddenly you know, oh man, I'm here now in this place. It was a mystery flight. I've gone through the journey and here I am. Well friends, a mystery has been revealed. That's what we see in Ephesians chapter Three this morning. It is quite a uh, interesting uh, chapter. In fact, some of the commentators that I've read have made the point that most people wouldn't uh, kind of look at Ephesians chapter three unless you are working through the book itself. But we are working through Ephesians, and so we're going to look at uh, this chapter, and we'll see how we go this morning. Well, friends, if you look at this, the, uh, the the passage before us, I want to encourage you to keep your Bibles open. That the central focus in this section, I think, is the importance of the role 
of the Gentiles in the early church and also the place of the church in the world. And so it is directly related to the commission that Paul was given by God in his apostolic ministry. And so we see in verses 1 to 6, if we want to call it that way, the call that Paul had received. Ephesians chapter 3, 1 to 6. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. And you can read that section. Paul says, I'm a prisoner of Christ. It's quite an interesting description here. Paul begins with his self-description, a prisoner for Jesus Christ. Now, when we think of, uh, of a prisoner, we think of someone who is shut in some prison cell with no freedom. Why would Paul call himself a prisoner of Jesus Christ? I think, friends, that there is an irony here in this text. Paul was writing this letter from a prison in Rome. The emperor at the time was Nero, a man who hated Christians. If you've been to Rome, you know uh, the, the, the strategies of that, of that emperor of burning Christians alive. And it's also said that in the Colosseum, perhaps this took place under Nero. So Paul was under the emperor Nero. And you would think that he would write, I, Paul, a prisoner of Emperor Nero. Right? You would think he would write that way. But instead he writes here as a prisoner for Christ Jesus. And Paul sees himself under the lordship of Jesus. He sees himself as one whose master is Christ. Now, you could, one could preach an entire message on just that one phrase. He sees himself as a master of under Jesus Christ. Christ becomes his Lord. I want to ask you the question this morning. How do you see your life today as a Christian? Is, could you say that I am a prisoner of Christ in that sense, that Christ is my master? Could you say that? The master of your life and mine. That we, you and myself are under the lordship of this amazing saviour, Jesus Christ. And Paul unpacks that for us as we see in this text. He says, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of this stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Paul had a task. He had a special mission. He was an apostle to the Gentiles. And this was the stewardship of God's grace that was given to him. And he talks about the mystery. In fact, four times this word mystery is mentioned in this passage. Chapter 3, verse 3, 3, verse 4, uh, 3, verse 6, 3, verse 9. Why is it a mystery? And what is this mystery? Well, look at your text, verse 3. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men, in order that the generation as it 
now has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Paul says that this mystery was made known to him by revelation. What do we say with that? (laughs) Where do we go with this text, friends? You see, Paul, he does not identify the point at which Jesus revealed the mystery to him by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We really don't know when Paul received this ministry by revelation. But at some point during or after Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus, Paul was given a mystery to proclaim to the world a body of truth that was delivered with certain new clarity to the apostle by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You're following with me. The mystery was not some kind of secret knowledge that only Paul and the apostles and an elite few could know. Rather, it was given to Paul in order that it might be delivered to all. Do we see that? Ephesians 3, 1, 2, 3. The mystery that the apostle explains is the mystery of Christ. And Paul goes on in the following verses to define the mystery for his readers. And let's just for a moment focus on Paul and how he understands his mystery as the mystery of Christ or the mystery involving Jesus. Paul says this in, in Galatians chapter 1, 11 and 12. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not... Whose gospel? Man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So therefore Jesus revealed it to his apostle by the Holy Spirit. And yet the mystery is not only given by Christ, but it is also Christ. I hope you can see that here. It's also about Christ. And so essentially I think the mystery is equivalent to the gospel. It is the good news of salvation. It is the good news that men, women, boys and girls can be forgiven of their sins and made full citizens of the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus. And I'll explain that as we go along. Right? We see that this is the gospel. And so Paul says this mystery is the mystery of Christ. And then he goes on to show, I think, the outworking of this gospel in verses 5 and 6. Which was made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And then he says, this mystery is what? Verse 6. That the Gentiles are members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Who are Gentiles, friends? Gentiles? Are you a Gentile? Well, I am. I'm not a Jew. There might be Jews here this morning or have some heritage. But Gentiles are those who are not in the household of God's family from the Old Testament. The Israelites, part of the covenant people of God, revealed at the time to God's people in the Old Testament and God working out His purposes and salvation through the nation Israel. But now, something has taken place. Now we see the setting of this chapter to understand what is going on here. 
You see, friends, today we don't perhaps give attention to the fact that in our church, there are people of all nationalities, ethnic backgrounds. But think for a moment of the original readers of this letter. I say this because it is very possible that the people who read the original letter to Ephesians found this section in chapter 3 to be really provocative. Why do I say that? I say this because Paul is speaking about the inclusion or engrafting, as Paul speaks about that in the book of Romans, engrafting or the inclusion of the Gentiles as part of God's plan of salvation. Paul's claim here, as we saw last week, and John unpacked that for us in, in chapter 2, 11 to 22, was that the unity of the Jews and Gentiles was in fulfillment to the Old Testament expectations for the inclusion of the nations to the worship of God. Was this easy for the Jews to accept? No. We have a classic example where Paul had to oppose his fellow apostle, what was his name? Peter. Right? And the way Peter responded to Gentiles. You can read that in Galatians chapter 2, 11 to 14. Paul had to confront Peter and say, Hey Peter, you are wrong in the way you are treating Gentile Christians. Because Peter immediately went back, even though he had come to know Christ, he went back to his thinking of his Jewish thinking. And he could not accept the fact that these Gentiles now are suddenly becoming, and they are part of God's family. And Paul had to oppose him for that. We read in our Bible reading this morning, the first reading, Genesis chapter 12, 1, uh, 1 to 9. Lord said to Abraham, go from your country. And look at verse 2. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. So, how are we to understand this then, friends? Surely, it was revealed in the Old Testament that God had a purpose for the Gentiles. We see that here. Jesus spoke about the inclusion of the Gentiles in the Great Commission, Matthew 28. So, what's the difference here? What's the mystery here? Surely, you might say to me, Chris, there is no mystery. It doesn't make sense. God has already spoken about it in Genesis. He has spoken about it through Jesus. What is the mystery? There is no mystery. That's how, when I was unpacking this text and trying to prepare it and make an understanding of this passage, I thought the same thing. What is this mystery? Well, John Stott commenting on this makes the following helpful observation. He says this, But what neither the Old Testament nor Jesus revealed was the radical nature of God's plan, which was that the theocracy, that is the Jewish nation under God's rule, would be terminated and replaced by a new international community, the church. That this church becomes an international body. It has moved from the Jews and it becomes an international body of Christ. Throughout the world. God's plan. The mystery has been made known. And it's been open now to the church. To understand. And for others. And the mystery as I see it. Is that Gentile Christians. You and myself. Are on equal footing. With Jewish Christians. Before God. 
Did you see that? The point in our passage is that God has chosen to make Gentile believers full beneficiaries of all His promises. God has chosen to make Gentile believers full beneficiaries of all the blessings of Christ. Jews and Gentiles through faith in Christ are on equal terms without distinction. How's that? In chapter 2, 11 to 22, with ties into this passage, Paul said that, the, that Jesus broke down the wall. Remember that? The dividing wall, because actually the, the Gentiles couldn't go close to the temple. They had to be on the other side. But God in Christ has broken that down. And therefore Jew and Gentile today approach God equally. We don't have to go to Jerusalem anymore, to the temple there. We don't have to keep the laws and the ceremonial requirements of it. Jews and Gentiles alike are saved through faith in Jesus alone. Salvation is open to anyone, to any ethnicity, any nationality, to all who put their faith in Christ. This is the mystery revealed. Wow! Imagine if God's plan was not worked out this way, would I be here? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> right? We won't, I won't be here because I'm not a Jew. I'm not born into the Jewish household of faith. I, I won't be here. Because God will only have the, his Jewish people as part of his family. And we will be excluded. But God's plan, his mystery of salvation has been revealed and made known through the Apostle Paul and through the others and through the church as we see in this text and, 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 and we see it amazingly put out here in this passage. And Paul says of this gospel, I was made a minister, verses 7 to 13, which is quite a substantial section there. We'll see how we go. Paul says that he was made a minister of this gospel according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of his power. God did his work of grace in Paul's life and he sees it as God's gift. Now Brian this morning spoke about, you listen to his testimony about grace. He spoke about the gift of faith. Remember Paul? Before his conversion, what was his name? Saul. <laughs> he was breathing down threats on Christians. He was there when Stephen was being stoned and he was saying, come on, get the stones out to Stephen. When Stephen, remember that? The first martyr, Acts chapter 7. And when Stephen was being stoned, Paul was there. And come to Acts chapter 9. Down the road to Damascus. Who meets him there on the road? Jesus meets him. And he says to Paul, it's hard, Paul, to kick against the, the, the prick because the more you kick, the more you get hurt. And why are you persecuting me? Was, how, how could Paul persecute Jesus? He was already risen. You see, God, Jesus says, when you, when you persecute me, you're persecuting my people. When the church suffers persecution, Christ suffers along with the body of his people. 
And Paul has experienced grace. He says this in Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. What's it? That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost or the greatest. How do you see yourself this morning? A super, super human being <laughs> that has not committed any sin or do you say with the Apostle Paul, oh, I can see myself as Paul saw himself, totally unworthy, totally not deserving of anything. I am the chief of sinners. Would you see yourself like that? Or do you proclaim this morning, wow, what a great person I am. God should be so grateful that he has me in his kingdom. He should be so thankful that I am here because without me, wow, man, the gospel won't go out. Nonsense. Nonsense. <laughs> right? God's grace comes to us in spite of who you are, what ethnic background you might be, what country you might be coming from, where, what, what nationality, what status you might be having. Anything cannot get you into the kingdom of God is a grace of God. And Paul says, I am the chief of sinners. Every preacher I trust will see that, friends. That when we mount this pulpit, we don't come here to proclaim how great we are. No, of course, never. It's the grace of God that makes us mount the pulpit. As one great preacher said, don't mount the pulpit with arrogance and pride. You need to mount that, those steps with humility in your heart and go down with humbleness as well. That's grace. Understanding of grace. You see, when we understand grace, it should lead us to humility. It should drive us on our knees. It should drive us to ask the question, Lord, how can I serve you in response to your grace to me? The men who went on the weekend, I was richly blessed, and other guys who were there. And we heard testimonies, didn't we? We heard the testimony of, of uh, Andrew Scipioni, uh, the chief commissioner of, of the New South Wales Police that, that commands a force of nearly 22,000 police And what did he say to us? He said, every morning I get up, I pray, God, use me, because I am mindful of your grace to me. Give me wisdom. And others who who spoke to us encouraged the men to follow that man, Jesus. It drove Paul to service. You see, God not only saved Paul, but also commissioned him with a task. And we see that task being mentioned there is to preach the unsearchable riches. Three things. The unsearchable riches of Christ to the Gentiles. Verse 8. I am the least of the apostles of the saints, and this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. He is to preach to the Gentiles because after he was converted, Ananias was said to, to, to do this to Paul. This is what God said to, to, the Lord said to Ananias. But the Lord said to him, go for, who is it? Paul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. He is to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Man, we could spend the whole day talking about the unsearchable riches of Christ. I wouldn't do that to you. But think about it. Have you thought about the unsearchable riches of Christ? 
Have you dwelled into that? Have you dug deep to see the unsearchable, amazing riches of Christ? Oh, my friends, the more you begin to understand the unsearchable riches of Christ, the more your life will be touched and transformed and changed and challenged and, and, and been used by Christ because it is so marvelous. Not just knowing Christ as your Savior, but actually seeing the unsearchable riches digging deep and getting to know. That's why we sang that hymn, My Jesus, I... Love you. I know you are mine. If ever I loved you, my Jesus, it is now. Do you? When's the last time? When's the last time that you and I sat and said to Jesus, Lord, I love you. I love you. For you are mine. He is to bring, secondly, he is to bring to light to everyone the plan of the mystery. Verse 9, to bring to light for everyone what is this plan of mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things. He is to make known the amazing work of God. In bringing together Jews and Gentiles into a new humanity. Because God who created the whole world is the one who is working out his plan. And God will one day unite all things under Jesus. And the third thing we see here very quickly is, is to inform the world of the church. Verses 10 onwards. So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is, this is <laughs> a lot of stuff here. Right? Rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What do we make? How can I make sense of this? What does it mean? You see, friends, the church takes a central part to make the manifold wisdom of God known. This word manifold means many colored. The idea, the word manifold was used to describe Joseph's multicolored coat. Remember that? Genesis 37. And the idea here now is that in Christ, the church is a multicolored coat. <laughs> right? It's a multicolored coat. That is, it is multicultural and it is multiracial now. We see the blessing reflected right here in our church. Just in the past few weeks, we had Josephine from where? From Sudan. Share a testimony and join. We had Iman. Iman is here this morning. Right? He's there. From Indonesia. Come and share his testimony. This morning, we had Brian and Karen from Hong Kong. Come and share their testimonies. You got myself here from Sri Lanka. Yeah, a sister ministry shared last week. From Vietnam, born in Indonesia. Born in Indonesia. We have Australians here. I can't forget you, please. I'll be in big trouble. <laughs> uh, we have people from all nationalities who are, who are here. From everywhere. The church is multicolored. It's multiracial because the manifold wisdom of God has been made known. It's a cosmic dimension as well, friends. Even rulers and authorities in the heavenly places... Do not know the mystery counsel of God. I would suggest that these rulers, these authorities in the heavenly places are the angels. Much has been written about this. I won't go into all the details. It is, 
It is to, I, I understand it is to be made known to the powers, the principalities in the heavenly realms. That is, I think, it is the responsibility of the church to make known God's plan of salvation to the entire world. And as she does this, even the heavenly beings are watching this plan unfold. Even the angels are watching. You look at one Peter, they are watching what's happening. When Jesus was born, who was there? The angels. They were looking into what was going on there. And now even the angels are wondering and looking. And as the church proclaims this mystery, proclaims this gospel to all the world, the angels are also looking and say, Wow, this plan is being unfolded. <laughs> so friends, the church. John starts speaking on this passage about the church speaks of three grand facts of the church. The church is central to history. The church is central to the gospel. And the church is central to Christian living. How do you look at the church? Do you see the church this way? We'll unpack a little bit more about that next week. Notice the wonderful assurance to the church. Verses 12 and 13. In whom we have boldness and access. With confidence through faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. And I'll, I'll, I'll expand more on this next time, as the church meets in prayer as well, as we see that later. We have access to the throne room of God. How's that? And we have access boldly into his presence. In summary, friends, and I'll unpack more of this next time. We have seen today the mystery revealed. This mystery is God's plan that Gentile Christians are beneficiaries of the gospel. So you go out from this place and your friends ask you tomorrow morning, Hey, what did you do on the weekend? I went to church. Oh, really? What did, the, did the guy do a talk? Oh, yes. What did he speak about? I'm confused. Don't, don't say that, right? If you're confused, come and see me. Right? The purpose is not for confusion. Go and say, well, we heard a message. And that is this. The God's mystery has been made known. And that people from every language, tribe, nation, nationality, now can come to Christ through faith. And we've become a multicolored church that God is building. And finally, friends, in closing, we who are non-Jews are part of God's great plan. All who believe in Jesus are beneficiaries of the promise. There are no, I close with this, There are no second-class citizens in God's kingdom. I'll repeat it. There are no second-class citizens in God's kingdom. Amen. Father, thank you. We have looked at this passage this morning. We thank you that the mystery has been made known. The plan of salvation has been opened to all nations, to all peoples. And that the church, your church, which you have redeemed, ransomed and reconciled, has an amazing responsibility to share this gospel. Would you bless the church here this morning and help us to rejoice that we are today part of God's plan in God's kingdom. And none of us are second class citizens in that kingdom. In Jesus name. Amen.